Today's horror story is written by Mortify Moore. The pink VHS tape felt warm like a remembered summer. I leaned back, away from the box of my late father's last things, the remnants of my left-behind childhood between the moves, the milestones, the missed opportunities. Inside were toys named only for me, puzzles completed over and over and left unfinished, the final resting place of decades-old spiders. But what stole my gaze was the pink corner deep down below the old blankets, dreaming toys, the carefully placed dust, and the smell of forever. The VHS tape read, The Shepherd Pig, in fat, bubblegum-blown letters, and I found myself smiling as my thumb traced the two-dimensional curves. I crouched over the attic's opening and slid down the ladder that hadn't felt feet in decades into the quiet house my father left. And mom, too, years ago. And socks slid into my father's office where an old TV hid behind stacked magazines, comic book boxes, filled to weigh 20 pounds, and a cat bed that still smelled like its long-dead owner. I scavenged for some cords nearby and, successful, blew the dusty cords before attaching them. The TV slit flashed and the eye of static opened, turquoise blue number in the corner. After turning the ear splitter down, I looked for the remote and brought it back to black. The screen sat quiet, waiting, and the pink VHS tape, slightly trembling in my hand, trembling below my widening grin, slid inside as if the bulky box savored the long-lost taste of plastic. And then... A message by the FBI, paragraphs about stealing, serious fines, and threats. And then, I was biting my lip, my head and tongue on the verge of something hidden away in memories, in a childhood marked by endless summers and giant but cheap candy, of a time before the present future, one that seemed so much more like a dream. Whispered words came and the black screen stayed, and with a sudden fear that, no, the tape, perhaps it was damaged, perhaps it isn't there anymore. There was just a vague outline, a forlorn shape of what was meant to be there, and it was just the black screen. I started to sweat, to fear, to shatter, and then the screen blossomed pink, and the music came, and the whisper became a song, and the smile on my face true. Against the pink backdrop came anthropomorphic lambs, children in suits, with sad, drooping ears, bushy bellies, and the occasional bleat. Lightning flashed with thunder shadows, angry, devil-born faces came into being above, and the artificial lights blasting the set dimmed, and the shadow of the valley laid its promise upon these fragile beasts. They ran to the center and huddled together, one, two, three, altogether seven, scared, together yet, alone. And then behind the cluster shone a cross, then a pig's smiling face, a pig's face above a milk-white robe and beside the tip of a shepherd's hook. 
The pig raised his great hands, for he was a man flesh and bone. The teller envisioned encased spirit and brought them down slowly around the child lambs. And the eight of them stood in a serene silence. The grimaces became grins. The storm softened and the sun rose again. And the pig looked at the audience and nodded his flappy grin. And the child within me knew everything was right. The bubblegum, the shepherd pig came and the little jingle played, me humming along and nodding. Yes, yes, everything truly is right. He has been remembered. It's all been remembered. The screen faded to black and the silver words, the verse of the day, swiveled left and right inside triumphantly. John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. It was an episode about love. They were all about love, really. But this one was about loving other people, your family, your friends, your strangers. Children taught by screenwriters and their parents to say the right things for the show. Waltz onto a playground, play on the wood columns and bridges, slide down rainbow slides. They sing songs and play games and inevitably pound and argue and fight. Sibling life isn't always fair, and friends don't always play by the rules. Stranger kids are simply too strange sometimes, and sometimes your family's the biggest strangers of all. And these arguments, these tests of love, well, these kids just couldn't figure it out themselves. They needed to know love, surely. And what was there to guide them was a stuffed pig, warmed in robes. Just a small thing on a chair off to the side, watching the events unfold with beaded eyes, a sewn smile. And at the climax of the last argument, when brother and sister became ash and dust, Friendship splintered and flaked, and strangers were ignored, stink-eyed, and more. The little stuffed pig jumps up in a burst of glitter and flashes and towers over the boys and girls, and they all forgot their lack of love and run to this stand-in messiah. And this pig, this shepherd pig, giggles and snorts and tells the kids how much he loves them, how much God loves them, and how all their problems can be solved by his love. The lambs skip in when the last problem is solved, the last sin overwhelmed by good. And together, the children and the shepherd and the seven lambs play and dance and sing. A hymn plays as the screen once again fades to black, and the sudden rush of previews of brand new content fill the last breath of the tape. What it was, it was a version of Barney, my father told me. A church decided that the purple dinosaur wasn't quite getting there, that his message of love, while good and right and kind, failed before scripture. And so a church that can only be remembered as grainy text on a VHS made a show and wrapped it up with pink plastic and sent it out. My father found such a tape at a yard sale, brought it home to the toddler-sized me and sat smiling to himself that he'd done good when he watched me memorize the songs, the dances, repeat the scripture and 
tell him I love him. But as children tend to outgrow Barney, so did I, the shepherd pig. I paused the tape, aware I was on the verge of tears. On the screen, a smiling shepherd pig held a hand up high. A hello or goodbye stuck in the pixelated buzz of eternity. I gulped and smiled. It was good. This was good. I pressed play and the shepherd pig finished his wave, a hello, and started to dance around with the kids as his always lost and found lambs. The preview ended and a phone number appeared, subtitled with, Feeling alone? Feeling sad? Want to be understood and loved? While a woman had fun talking about the shepherd's pig's pals, a club you could sign up for with a single phone call, and 997. I remember my mother calling that number decades ago, the beginning of a rather short run of monthly church newsletters, which were more or less pig and Bible themed. There were 12 issues, and then the club simply didn't exist. Nor did Patty, for that matter. My father told me he had asked and searched and even begged some people, but the pig and the lambs were no Barney and a church's desire doesn't pay production costs. I was heartbroken, but at least I had that one pink tape, and I had it again. My smile still stretched. I ejected the tape and ran my fingers around its edges, only ceasing when my pocket shivered. I put the tape down gently, dug out my phone, and let the furious demand of Colleen boom from the speaker. Daniel, where the hell are you? Jordan's locked me out again, and I can't find the goddamn keys, and Gloria won't answer her fucking phone either, and I know she can hear me out here. I need you right now, or else I'm calling the cops or a locksmith. You need to have a serious talk with your son and daughter. This is bullshit. Pure bullshit. Where are you? I told her I was at my father's, going through his left behinds, and she sighed, told me to hurry my ass up, and hung up. My heart felt light, and I looked down at the tape. I placed it gently in a plastic bag, along some other things picked up about the house. I thought only of the tape on the way home. At dinner, no one spoke. Forks hit plates, a phone buzzed and chirped, and Jordan smacked mouthfuls between his bones. Gloria sat across from him, silent, her focus entirely on the phone that seemed to morph into new shapes and colors so often. Colleen sat in the middle, taking slow mouthfuls, glaring at me whenever I'd look up to her. She'd jerk her head around to Jordan or Gloria, and her eyes would demand attention. I'd swallow and clear my throat, ready to say something, but stop halted by something that simply existed, simply had to come into being over the years, and I go back to eating. Jordan finished his plate, told us thanks, standing up and leaving the pasta sauce red plate behind. He began to turn, head to his room, close the door, and forget his reality. Excuse me, sir. Where do you think you're going? You gonna apologize for that shit you pulled earlier? Jordan looked around the room, as if the answer was somewhere to be simply touched. 
He shrugged, said he didn't know what she was talking about. Shit you don't know. Don't think I don't know you took the key from the mat and didn't replace it. Too busy getting high at what's-her-faces, coming in past midnight. Bet it's in your room somewhere. Bet it's in your jeans right now. She stood and walked over. Jordan put his hands up and looked away. His lips pressed together to hide that smile the curled corners couldn't cover. Is this funny to you? Huh? Is this funny? What's funny is you thinking you locking yourself out is my fault. Excuse me? He shrugged, started with a just saying, but didn't finish. Colleen, in her way, launched words of war, and he deflected each insult, each accusation, each threat, with the rolls of his eyes. Eyes that only incited, inflamed, infuriated his mother. She told him he was lucky she didn't kick him out right there. And he started off saying he wished she would, that he'd go right now, in fact. Her eyes seared, her lips drowning like flicks of an inferno. She turned to me. I'm done. Go talk to your asshole of a son. I'm done. I refuse to speak with him. And if he doesn't apologize by tonight, he can kiss his bed goodbye. His computer, goodbye. His cozy, peachy fuckhead routine, goodbye. Because I'm done. He's out. Go talk to him. And you know what? Fuck just an apology. He's going to clean up the dining room and kitchen. Don't you dare touch it, Daniel. You make him do it. Make him show he gives a rat's ass about this family. And that one needs her phone taken away. Can't tell her jack shit. I glance at Gloria. Can't help myself. She stares at the deep hue of another world, and that escapism seemed terribly familiar. And yet, sad in its own way. I nod to Colleen, tell her I'd talk to her son. She flumps under the love seat, takes out her laptop, and scowls into the blackness. For a few dumbfounded moments, I look around the house, at the accumulation of items, of people. And then I'm at the stairs walking up, feeling the carpet through my shoes and my lack of anxiety. I crest to the top and go down the hallway I've been down thousands of times, to the door I recognize more than my son. It's locked, and I knock. Behind it, there's a fumble of movement. The door pops open, enough to see a slim rectangle of Jordan. This again, Dad. The words come on autopilot. There's no meaning behind them. Maybe never was. You and your mom really need to make up. I really can't take living with either of you when you're like this. I know it isn't easy, but try to see it from her side. Christ, Dad. Did we see the same thing? I don't nod or shake my head. God. He smiles, but it's the wrong message behind it. <laughs> I don't get you. I really don't. And no offense, Dad, but I kind of don't want to. I used to really look up to you. He smudges his face into a hand, and I'm not offended. I don't move. A smell slips through the door, and Jordan starts to close it off. She wants you to clean up downstairs. 
You think you can do that? If not for her, maybe me? This really isn't good for me, how you two are always doing this. The boy I raised for 16 years and doesn't smell the same looks through me. No, Dad. I think no. Sorry, she's too much. I'm out of here. Yeah. I sigh and put my hands up. Tell him I've tried. Say it loud enough that Colleen will hear. And on my way back down the stairs, I think about only one thing. I'm crying. But nobody's paying attention. I went to the basement. Two kids ago, I took the basement for myself, placing all the worthless, priceless things here. But after the toys had come and Colleen's homebound gym, couches, TV we couldn't afford, and how many things, I lost count. All of it came, and now that beloved acre of carpet had been whittled to a corner. A downstairs bathroom, never used enough, converted into what remained of my autonomy. I had only a small table with an analog TV sitting upon VHS storage drawers, a space to place snack bags and the occasional magazine, and a single folding chair. I snuck down here when Colleen and the kids went to bed, reliving the golden decades of my life and the lives of people who may be dead now. Sometimes I just rewind tapes, listen to the whir inside the TV, and feel at peace. But tonight was not such a night, and instead was a mere escape, some relief from my life, my choices up to this point. I turned to the bag I brought with me down to my abyss, unzipped a fine line, and took out the pink plastic. I shivered as it chittered its way inside the TV and sat back, closing my eyes, exhaling a slow breath, juxtaposed against the racing spin of the shepherd pig's message. The same warnings came, the same intro played, the same problems arose, the same problems were solved. That number to call the shepherd pig, that number standing proud while the woman spoke and cheered and promised togetherness. In my head, I was calling that number, calling a place that likely would be empty and had been for decades, calling an empty church that turned off its lights one last time to rest in plastic. I found myself tearing up, sniffling. I rewound the tape and started again. The door slammed open and Colleen stood a silhouette of black on artificial white light. I hadn't realized my cave truly was, the light foregone for Samsung's illumination. What the fuck was that, Daniel? Did you just go up there and shrug and think that was good enough? Huh? Some fucking talk. And what the hell are you doing down here anyway? She looked over at the TV and shot back to me with disgust. Daniel, what the hell is this? You, are you, is this some kid's show? I couldn't speak. 
a ball formed in my throat and my lungs wanted permission to burst. Heat filled my head, ran through my veins, down, down. It is. It really is. I don't fucking believe it. My asshole son locks me out and my chicken shit husband is hiding and watching a fucking kid show. Is this... What the fuck is this, Daniel? I want to know right now where the fuck this is. I shook my hands, raised my palms, but Colleen went on. Jesus, Daniel. Jesus. She scoffed, faked a laugh. Wish you were just watching porn or, or something. Would have been easier to explain, but this. This. Jesus. A kid show? A kid show for little kids. A kid show. She went to eject the tape, and all at once a strange and furious fear erupted in me. I grabbed her wrist before she could touch the eject button. I told her not to. She yanked her arm away, then glared at me. Words poured out of my mouth, trying to tell her the joy of it, of my memories, the history of the tape with my childhood and what it all meant, the benefit of it all to me on learning how to love and what love is, how it's shown and given. Tears formed in my eyes and my hands swirled about, trying to make sense of my thoughts. Her look turned my rambling to a stutter and then silence. You, just you. Good God, why? Why, Daniel? I don't know if you're a pedophile or another kind of freak, but I'm not having it. No, give me that tape. Give it to me. She started again for the TV and I stepped in again. She scoffed, told me to move. And when I didn't, she hit me. My arms raised to defend myself, making sure to be ready to defend the television as well. She hit harder, screamed at me. The choppy audio of the kids singing Himmel's soundtracking my wife's assault. She couldn't get behind me though. Couldn't get behind the stalwart, sobbing man. One trying to protect the last thing he seemed to care about. I grabbed her wrists and made an unintelligible sound. She glared like she was somehow responsible for my disposition. Somehow responsible for this desire to watch these weird and worrisome videos. Get off me! Get the fuck off me! I did. She spat air and stabbed me again and again with her eyes and turned to leave. Shouting she'd be contacting a divorce lawyer and the police if I dared touch her like that again. I became aware I was shaking. But underneath a layer of panic, of worry, of pain, there was a sense of silent appreciation coming from the unmolested pink VHS. I put my hand on the TV, closing my eyes and listening to the words coming from the low-quality speaker, my bottom lip trembling against my top. I looked over at the TV, and the shepherd pig stared at me with pixelated eyes. That woman inside the tape excitedly spoke. The shepherd pig lounged and looked, waving eternally. The number flashed on the screen. I took out the phone in my pocket and dialed the number two decades dead. It rang once, twice, and on the third, it picked up. 
a voice, one warm and fulfilled, a voice that had been waiting for so long, simply said, Daniel. Upstairs, Colleen intercepts Jordan, who's carrying several bags in a backpack. They're both yelling, and I can't make it out. Gloria now sits in the living room, ever-present, ever-distant. Colleen shoves Jordan, and Jordan stops, his face flushed. For a moment, I think this'll be the moment Jordan flinches, throws out a move he can't take back, sending Colleen back, her cheek flaring red, but he stops yelling instead, seems to swallow hard and chokes up. Colleen presses her advantage and shoves him, asks if she really raised this big of a pussy. Under the chaos, there's the sound of an engine ceasing. It's quiet, but I hear it clear. Hear it well. Hear it because I've been waiting for it my entire life. She points to me and says something, but now I'm looking past her towards the door, listening to the muffled patter of feet behind it. Colleen yells my name, yells it a second time, and on the third I look over at her. I smile. She speaks but doesn't finish, and the door, the door I had locked before dinner doesn't even swing open. It is simply open like I need it to be, like it's been open this entire time, and all at once we're swallowed by a light that's spewing out of the front door. And then, he steps in, a robe with the color of milk, sandals peeking out from the slow of cloth, a firm grasp around a shepherd's crook, the other hand hidden in a long sleeve, his collarbone is showing, and his head, a pig's head, clean cut at the neck, frayed, curled skin near the eyes, dusk blue oceans swirling within. He stares at me. He stares at me behind the dirty pig's grimace and old pig's skin with furrows and white hairs and wrinkles, chipped teeth bent out of the lips and floppy ears with long clutches of hair like the stamens of lilies. He lifts his crook and taps the hardwood with it, a faint sound that we all hear. He's looking at me with those blue eyes when the lambs come in, each in pairs, two, four, six. And they're all there, just like him. But the lambs are a mismatch of shapes and ages, colors, and creation. Three of varied children, a toddler, a teenager, a in-between, thin-boned, an aura of energetic dreams. Two are primed adults, a woman with a mother's bosom and fulfilled uterus, and a man with tattooed fingers and missing toes. And the sixth, Skin like an avalanche, pale and layered. Moles like mountainside rocks to show the elder years. They all wear the heads of sheep. The shepherd pig raises the crook upward and speaks. His voice swarms the room, the entire house, the cacophony of locusts. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I don't know what the fuck is going on here, but Jesus Christ, who are you people? Get the fuck out of my house. Oh my God, what the fuck are you wearing? Colleen danced between rage and horror, command and confusion. She looked around, looked at the six lambs and the one shepherd, and stepped back, holding her hand over her mouth. She started to gag. Gloria stares now, her phone slightly lowered. Jordan has shed all of his luggage, neither speak. Neither can even comprehend what is happening. No one looks to me to see me smiling, my hands clenching and opening. Only Colleen is speaking. Oh my God, money. You want money? Here, God, here. Her hand moves like a frantic rabbit into her pocket, pulls out her wallet, fumbles about, stops, flicks her hand. The plastic card lands next to the shepherd pig. 9221. 9221, that's, that's the... Colleen stops talking. Neither the shepherd pig nor the lambs move. What do you want? Colleen screams. No answer. I can't help but giggle, slamming a hand over my mouth, but the corners of my mouth slither out, reveal it all. My wife looks at me, looks at the invited, back to me. On her face there's a wave of nausea, and she stumbles toward the dining room, falls into the dining table, slams her hand over a knife, raises the point to the shepherd pig. The sharpness shakes in the air, and she tries to steady it by grasping her wrist. Get! 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 She tries. She steps forward, then back, unhands the wrist to steady herself on the table. There's a pause. I'm staring at my unmoving children, and then a sudden movement from Colleen steals my sight, my thoughts, my smile. My wife is rushing forward with the knife, towards the shepherd pig. She's screaming and nearly makes it, then falls to the floor with a loud thud. One of the lambs has tripped her. My wife of 26 years looks up from the floor, the knife underneath her. She tries to yank it out, fails, and mumbles a cry. The shepherd pig flexes a shoulder, lifts the long sleeve upwards towards her, lifts the crook high and before our gaze, before God's, he brings it down. Colleen only spits out a gasp to prelude the ear-ringing pop. Jordan and Gloria tear from their spots, and the lambs, now alive and skittering about, give chase. The tattooed lamb breaks away, his eyes behind the sunken sockets right on Gloria, who is screaming up the stairs. Two lambs, the between and the elder, pursue Jordan outside as he presumably tries to make it to the car parked on the street. The three left stand over Colleen and with feet and fist and silverware taken from the table, crash into her. There's horrible laughter, and I realize it's coming from me, and I laugh harder 
doubling over until I'm weeping and smiling with lungs feeling like TV static. Between laughing tears and coughing, I see Colleen struggling against the blows, still alive despite the dent in her head. She's wailing, clawing at the ground and the lambs, trying to stop whatever she can. Overlooking her fate is the shepherd pig, who merely stands, the hook tall and showing off the sampled blood. Colleen is crying out as the relentless lambs continue. She reaches out for something, anything, and finds the tablecloth. She yanks and dishes slide toward the assault, smashing into the lambs. In that reprieve, she stumbles to a crouching run and tries to get away. But the mother lamb grabs her blouse and she falls into a chair. Colleen gasps and swings it wide behind her. The mother takes the chair in her swollen belly and makes an odd sound and collapses. The toddler rushes to her, but the teenager continues towards bloody and beautiful Colleen, holding a flesh-feasted fork. My wife manages to get up, but she's forgotten about the shepherd for us all, and another crack of the crook on the back of her neck sends her down. She doesn't get up. There's a screeching of rubber in the other room. Metal collides with wood. The car's horn fires off several times and then lets off a long scream. Then nothing. The elder and the between come into view, each sporting fresh cuts and bruises on their arms and legs. More underneath those robes stained red. They walk up behind Colleen and grab her head, her arms. My stalwart wife flails and screams and shouts, but she can't break free. Too weak. Too late. The teenager is on her now, the fork whispering through the air and Colleen's shouts become a gurgle, a snuffed sob. The toddler and the mother stand, watch Colleen finish twitching. The tattooed comes down from the stairs, his hands redder than skin ought to be. The five-digit letters, peace, wrapped around a phone and long strands of preteen hair. I'm crying again, my hands cupped over my smiling face. And when it's all over, when the silence finally comes over the earth and my hands move away, and I see the shepherd pig before me, the six lambs side to side, their hands outstretched like crosses and my body feels hot and I open my arms with them, laughing, weeping. The shepherd pig approaches me. He's holding something black and dirtied and dry. He slips it over my head and through the new holes the world falls apart. The carpet of the house burns away and a new road paves brick by brick to the sky. And when the last brick clicks into place, there's Colleen and Gloria and Jordan so far away from us all, yet so close to me now. All their sounds are gone, and they glow with a light that vanquishes hell. They're full of love and thankfulness, understanding and appreciation. Angels sing high above, their hundred heads bowed and hidden in marbled hands. 
away yet exalting the great light beyond the ever-shifting cosmic clouds of hues mankind can only glimpse when twilight clusters through glass. And in this way, I know I've done the right thing, have saved everyone. I can save many more from their present and future. Walk with them hand in bloody hand back to this plastic past where we all dream. My hand holds the plastic past and behind the flayed flesh of a sheep, I smile and step forward towards the kingdom, towards love.